Hey, you know, there's a lot of ways to let your light shine, right? For the Lord. And uh, I want to thank everybody who put together a shoebox. One of the ways that God's light can shine is when it goes all over the world to kids in the form of a gift in the name of Jesus. And uh, especially thanks to Sam and his uh, company that put together, I think, over like 50 boxes uh, that goes along with this. And so uh, it's pretty exciting. Thousands and thousands of these boxes will go uh, to kids who've never even heard the name of Jesus. And it's kind of exciting. We ought to continue to pray through the Christmas season that God would use those uh, gifts to draw people to himself. Another way to let your light shine, you know, is uh, through serving. And uh, Dan and Nancy Butterfield have been in this church uh, for a long, long time and uh, are like examples of servers. And uh, they're moving to Pennsylvania. And today, after the second service, at 11.30, you're all invited to come. And uh, we're going to have a little uh, reception, farewell, going away. It's a little weird because they're not really leaving until they sell their house. And who knows when that'll be, but it could be soon. And so we don't want to miss the opportunity. And uh, you're all invited. There's details. But uh, there'll be a luncheon, and uh, it'll be at 11.30 today. And then finally, I would just want to uh, remind you, notice in the bulletin, that if you're new to our church, there's a Discovering Trinity class next Sunday at 11.30 after the second service. And uh, you're all invited uh, to come. If you're thinking about getting baptized or you're interested in learning more about the church, that's your opportunity to come together. We'll probably meet uh, in the library at 11.30 next uh, Sunday. I just have to uh, you know, be honest with you up front uh, this morning that um, I don't even like this sermon, okay, just so you know. It's about discipline. It's about discipline. And so I thought I would start with the last verse of our text this morning first. We're in Hebrews chapter 12, and um, verse 11 says, For the moment, all discipline seems painful. I think that's like the greatest understatement in the Bible, right? For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Okay, But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Discipline. God's discipline in our lives. Um, there's nothing, we've, we've learned that there's nothing more important between us and God than our faith. Faith is everything. In fact, if you remember in Hebrews 11 and verse 6, the Bible says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God, right? Those who want to draw near to God must believe. Believe what? Two things. Number one, that God exists. And number two, that he rewards those who seek him or who trust him. It's impossible to please God without faith. And so there's nothing more important between us and God than our faith, and it's so important, we've seen that all the way through life, all the different situations and circumstances, we're constantly making a choice as to whether our faith is going to shrink or grow in the face of whatever God brings into our lives. We're constantly in that process of our, our faith is either shrinking or growing. It's not static. Our confidence in God, our trust in God will either be growing or it will become static. And so last week, uh, Pastor Dan in Hebrews 12, the very first verse, talks about our life as a race, right? Hebrews 12, 1 says, Since we're surrounded by this great cloud of witness, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings to us, and let us run with endurance the race 
that God sets before us. So you think of life as a race, and um, the verse goes on and says, looking to Jesus, the finish line of this race is Jesus. The goal is Christ-likeness. The point of God allowing us to live our lives in terms of us uh, is to become more and more like Christ. The end game in Romans 8.29 is that we would be conformed to the likeness of Christ so that he would be the first among many brothers and sisters in heaven. He's changing us and getting us ready uh, to be able to live in heaven. And so staying focused on Jesus, he is the finish line. The race is about becoming like him. The finish line, right, is Christless, Christness, Christ-likeness, sorry. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, right? Those who are in Christ become a new creation, a whole new creation. Uh, Galatians 2, 20, the Apostle Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. And so this race that we're in is lived by faith, and the end goal is to develop the character of Christ. And so God looks at us in Christ as his sons and daughters. He adopts us, and he uses discipline to grow us. And so we'll pick up where Dan left off last week in uh, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 5. Uh, and have you forgotten, the author asks, the exhortation that addresses you as sons? as sons and daughters of the living God. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons and daughters of his. Run with endurance. And so why do we need endurance? Because God uses things like pain and hardship and rebukes and suffering um, like a personal trainer in a gym to develop our faith muscle, right? Uses resistance, uses hardship, uses uh, a rebuke that pushes us past where we are and encourages us to go to the next step and to go to the next Level in order that this faith muscle might develop in us as much Christ-like character as is possible, getting us ready to live in heaven. And faith is the means by which we build this character. But I want to suggest to you that the only time, the only time our faith really grows is when it's tested. The only time our faith really has an opportunity to grow and to expand and to go deeper is when it's tested. It's easy to have faith when everything's cool, when everything's smooth, when everything's running smoothly. But when our faith is tested by hardship or by pain or by suffering or by trials or uh, whatever might come our way, that's when we have the opportunity to grow, when we have to decide whether we're going to shrink or grow. When we have to decide whether we're going to embrace faith or fear, 
to make our decisions in the face of whatever God allows to come into our life. It's in the midst of adverse circumstances that come into our path that God enables our faith to grow. Last night, uh, Margie already talked about being together here at Higher Ground and uh, listening to the testimonies and the hardships that came into people's lives in order to move them from where they were into God's family. And it's through hardship. It's through really difficult times. And God calls that process discipline. And so when life gets hard, I think we believers sometimes forget that God has a purpose in allowing the hardships, the discipline to come into our lives. He's out to reproduce the character of his only begotten son. And the thing about character, right, is that it's comprehensive. Our character affects every area of our life, from our professional lives and our careers to our relationships, to our thoughts, to our feelings, to our interactions with people. It affects our character, affects every aspect of our life. And so Christ-like character is about doing what's right according to our Father, regardless of the cost, like Jesus did. Doing what's right according to our Heavenly Father, no matter what the cost. That's character, if you were to try to come up with a, a definition of character. And uh, I was trying to think, like, one of the earliest times that I remember sort of becoming aware of the issue of character, I was like um, maybe seven or eight years old, I think, at the time. And um, my dad was a a volunteer fireman in a little town called Glenrock, New Jersey. And uh, this uh, particular fire department, it was a small town and so forth, but the fire department uh, made my dad what they called an engineer, which meant that he was responsible for the truck, for the fire truck, right? And this particular fire department had mascots. They had kids like me who could be a mascot in the fire department. And uh, part of the uh, job of being a mascot was that you marched in parades. They had this little uniform that you put on, you know, and you, you looked just like a real fireman and so forth. But the big deal for me at that age was you got to ride on the fire truck because you would go to parades and you would come back and and so forth. And that was a big deal, and I couldn't wait till Monday came around to go to school, tell the kids where I went on the fire truck, you know, kind of thing. But my dad would always be asked to be the driver whenever we would go on one of those things to another town, to a parade or something like that, because the fireman knew that he didn't drink. And uh, I learned in time that those occasions, those picnics, are opportunities to enjoy drinking, right, a lot. And so um, I remember this one time when we, were, uh, we went to a parade someplace, I don't remember where it was, and we were coming back, and, and I was sitting on the hose bed in the back of the fire truck. My dad was driving, we were on the way home, and one of the white hats, um, you know, the people with white hats were the uh, captains and the lieutenants and the chiefs, and you know, one of the white hats told my dad to stop the fire truck at this bar on the way home, and uh, he was already a little tipsy. Um, But anyway, so dad stopped and he stood up on the seat and he said to everybody on the truck, he said, all right, he said, uh, the truck is leaving in, I don't know, five minutes or whatever, you know, 10 minutes. I don't know what he said, but um, and then, um, you know, uh, these guys all jumped off the truck, ran into the bar and so forth. Well, anyway, the time was up and dad took off with the truck. And I was sitting on a hose bed facing the back of the truck. And in those days, firemen used to hang on to the back. And he'd stand on that back platform and hold on to the rail and, and so forth. And as he took off, there were three or four guys 
came out of the bar and started running after the truck, right? And everybody that was on the truck started yelling at my father to stop, to stop, because these guys were coming. And dad said, and I still remember this, it's just a kid. He said, they need to walk home. And everybody on the truck just shut up. And he, you know, and I thought it was like the cruelest thing he could do. Right? I was like really dumbfounded that he would actually do that. And so uh, when we got in the car to go home, he explained to me, he said uh, something along the lines of, you know what, uh, when I drive, I'm responsible. And those guys, you know, uh, they could have fallen off the back of the truck and I'd be responsible. I can't let those guys hang on to the back of the truck like that. And I don't think I, you know, processed it in these terms, but somehow I learned, it was a defining moment for me, that character is more important than position because the white hat who asked my father to stop at the bar was the one who was, was one of the guys who came running out of the bar and had to walk home. And I thought that took some guts for my, even at seven or eight years old, that took some guts for my father to kind of do the right thing in spite of probably getting reamed out right? That character was more important than position. And so here's God using discipline to develop Christ-like character in us. The opposite of character is compromised convictions. The opposite of character is not living up to your word. The opposite of character is misplaced values. The opposite of character is selfishness and lies and pretense, pretending to be something we're not, the opposite of character. Uh, And it's precisely in the storms of life, in the hardships of life, that character is revealed, right? It's there that we find out what we're really made of. It's when life falls apart and we're we're up against it, you know, and the pain uh, comes our way and we're having a hard time, it's then that pretense falls away. It's then that our character is revealed. If our beliefs are only inherited from someplace else and they're not really our own, they crumble when they're tested. When we're treated unjustly and unfairly and, um, you know, we're tempted to say, hey, that's not fair. If your faith is real, it will grow and character will be built. But if your faith's not real, it'll shrink even further and character disintegrates. And I think God allows this because he wants us to know He already knows where we're at, but he wants us to know where we're at before it's too late to repent and to change and to turn back to him, right? And so he allows this discipline to come into our lives. Uh, Verse 7 and 8, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. If you don't experience any discipline from God, if you think that you're going to have this life with your heavenly father and, and uh, everything's just going to be all about your comfort and, your, you know, uh, and you don't experience that kind of discipline or hardship that uh, exposes who you really are and that challenges whether you really believe the things that you say you believe, You're an illegitimate. You're a person who's pretending to be a a Christian when you're not. Because God disciplines all that he loves. And so if we ask the question, what's the point of discipline? You notice uh, verse 9 and 10 say, hey, besides God disciplining us, besides this, verse 9 says, uh, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. 
Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. But God disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. That we may share his holiness. What's the point of discipline? Isn't the point of discipline change? Isn't the whole point of discipline an opportunity for us to change, for us to grow? You notice the last part of verse 10, the second part of verse 10 says, God disciplines us for our good. For our good. Here's a father who loves us and is out for our good. And even though it doesn't seem pleasant when we experience it, he's got our good in mind. He's for us. He's not against us. He disciplines us for our good. Um, Who do you think knows what's good for you? God or you? Who do you think knows best what's, quote, good for you? Because I think this is where faith grows, in the tension between what I think is good for me and what God thinks is good for me. And it's right in that tension, right, that we make a choice as to whether or not we're going to embrace what God thinks is good for us or we're going to go with what we think is good for us. And uh, I'm either going to trust God more than myself, which is what faith is, uh, and... um, Or I'm going to, you know, not, and I'm going to shrink. My faith is going to shrink. I'm going to have more confidence in me. And think of a situation where you have to choose. Hey, this is what I know God wants me to do, but this is what I want to do. This is what I think I would rather do or I should do and so forth. And, And here's the thing, you know, God's discipline often affects our outer world, right? It often affects our outer world, but its goal is to change our inner life. God's discipline often affects our outer world, right? We don't get the job. We don't get the raise. We don't get our health to bounce back. Accidents happen. Uh, But God's discipline is really designed to change our inner world, to change our belief system, to change our thoughts, change our feelings, change our will. And I don't know about you, but I always sense this tension in prayer. A lot of people's prayer is, dear God, please change my outer world. Give me the job. Give me the race. You know, fix my relationships. Heal my body. And a lot of times people say, well, you know, I pray and pray and pray and I don't, you know, what if we're praying for the wrong thing? What if we should be praying, Lord, help me to understand why it is that you've allowed this hardship, this pain, this suffering to come into my life. What am I to learn? What's your plan for my life? How do I develop my faith in the face of whatever you've allowed to come into my life? What if our prayers were change me to be like Christ instead of change my circumstances. And I always sense that there's this this kind of tension in our prayer life, depending on uh, what we believe about God's discipline. Um, What if those things that we're praying for God to change are the exact things God's trying to use to perfect our faith, to change us on the inside and reshape our character so that it's more like Jesus? You know, in James... uh, just like the next page over in your Bible, if you have your Bible open in James chapter 1 and uh, second and third verses, James says, hey, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials. You remember this passage? When you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. It's in the testing, it's in the trials, it's in the challenges to your faith that we have the opportunity to develop uh, uh, our faith muscle. 
And let steadfastness have its full effect so that you can be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Count it all joy. I always thought, really? Count it all joy when you encounter these opportunities that challenge your faith. Um, and I, I just, you know, I want to go back to that uh, Hebrews 12, 10b, the second part of that verse. It says, God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. Uh, that we may share in his holiness. Uh, look at verse 14. Uh, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Strive for that holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Um, I want to suggest to you that our good and God's holiness are the same thing. That our good and God's holiness are the same thing, that they're directly connected. Our good or our character and God's nature or God's holiness are the same thing. Uh, Everybody, I think, agrees that character is a good thing. I want to be married to a person of character, right? I want to have co-workers that have character, you know, uh, I, I want to have friends that have character. But what is character? What is it? And you find out that when you ask people, you know, everybody agrees that character is an important thing and we all want it. We want to be people of character. But what is it? There are some people who will say this. They'll say, you know what? Character is when you stand up for what you believe. That's character. Well, what if you believe the wrong thing? What if the people in Paris stood up, you know, the terrorists stood up for what they believe but what if they believe the wrong thing is that character see there are other people say hey character is about being nice in other words standing up for nothing about being tolerant that's character getting along with everybody being politically correct that's character what is character i think character is the nature of god reproduced in us When you were created originally, God made us in his likeness and in his image. Character is rooted in the character of our creator. And that's why he says when he disciplines us, it's for our good that we may share in his holiness. Character is defined as doing the right thing as defined by our heavenly father, regardless of the cross. As defined by our heavenly father. Holiness, right? Uh, The Bible says character finds its source in our creator. Our good is a reflection of the character of God. Um, God has made himself known, right? He's revealed himself. He's revealed himself in creation, the Bible tells us. He's revealed himself in scripture. God's revealed himself in Jesus. You know, Christmas is the largest celebration in the world, right? I mean, all over the world people celebrate Christmas. God's not silent. He's revealed himself. He's made himself known. Uh, And he's revealed himself in these various forms uh, since the beginning of time. But also from the beginning of time, God has given us the freedom to make choices. And from Adam and Eve all the way down to you and I, uh, we have made choices against him. You know, we've chosen bad over good. We've uh, chosen wrong over right. We've chosen me over God, you know. And uh, that's really, as the Bible describes it, the reason for all the problems in our lives and in the world in which we live. 
But of course, God loves us and he's got a plan for us, sending Jesus into the world. And we can actually trade out that old life and trade it for a new life. Our old life we ran, the new life God runs. One of the guys who gave his testimony last night at Higher Ground said, you know, uh, I was trying to get Jesus to be my Savior, but I didn't want him as my Lord. So I was trying to hold on to my life, but at the same time wanting all the advantages of pretending that I was surrendering to God. You know, Well, Jesus is Savior and Lord. You can't have half of him. He is who he is, right? And so... Um, We've made choices against him, but God offers us this new life to trade out. And it seems to me the issue is always control. You know, nobody wants to give up control, even though we know God could do a better job of running our lives than us. Right? Everybody knows that. Everybody would agree with it. But the issue is I have to surrender control. Uh, Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter 16 and uh, verse 25. He said, Forever, for whoever would save his life will lose it. If you want to really experience the life that God has for you, you have to surrender your life, right? And uh, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The life that God created us for can be had. The, the development of character in the likeness and uh, in the image of God uh, is a possibility. It's, it's in process. It's never finished in this life, but uh, we're told that it will be in the life to come. Um, God gives us this offer of this new life. So character is doing right as defined by God regardless of the cost. Apart from our desires, apart from our thoughts, apart from our feelings, an independent uh, standard has been set by our creator. Uh, God has spoken. And so the point of discipline is change. And the thing is this. We're all changing. We're all changing, right? The thing is that God wants to change us in his direction. That's all. We're all changing. And God is in the business of taking the raw stuff of our life and reshaping and refining and renewing and renovating us into a new creation. Uh, The whole point of the hardship, the trials, the discipline is to bring about a better version of the old you, right? And so whether we like it or not, our character is changing. Um, Often it's unnoticed. It's like a tree. A tree is always changing, right? Like if you go away for 10 years and come back, you'll see like a radical change. But you don't notice it every day, right? It just seems like the same. As a matter of fact, um, by the way, we're giving away Christmas trees this year to all the guests that you bring during the month of December. Uh, On the Sunday before Christmas, we have these little spruce Christmas trees that a live Christmas tree that we're going to give. And we're going to talk about how our lives are a little bit like a tree and how God wants to develop and and change us. And so uh, our character is always changing in response to uh, either faith or unbelief. Our lives are either developing character or our character is disintegrating based on unbelief. And so just as our outer life changes, have you noticed your outer life changes? You know, I don't see some of these people uh, from higher ground for a year at a time and they're like, You know, they evaluate you. Oh, you look good. Oh, you look more gray. Oh, you have a lot of wrinkles compared to the last time I saw you. Oh, you're getting a little heavier. You shouldn't have that cake. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, right? Your eyes are getting a little dim. What's wrong with you and so forth? Well, as much as our outer life changes, our inner life changes as well. And it's always in the process of change. And the only question is, is it going to change in God's direction or is it going to change 
you know, away from God. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I think, has a great passage about this. It says uh, in verse 16, so we don't lose heart or lose hope, though our outer nature is wasting away. I mean, it's just a fact, right? Our outer nature is wasting away. Our inner nature is being renewed day by day. Our inner nature, if we're walking with the Lord and we're living by faith, our inner nature is being renewed. It's getting better. For this slight momentary affliction, discipline, is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, they're temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Isn't that great? Our outer world is changing. It's going away. It's temporary. But our inner world is getting stronger and stronger and is going to endure for eternity. And that's the purpose of God's discipline in our lives. That's why he allows the hardships uh, to come. Somebody said one time that God is the ultimate investor. He doesn't invest in what's passing away and in what's temporary. Our bodies are passing away, our finances are passing away, our careers are passing away. No, God invests in what lasts. He invests in our souls. He invests in our spirits. He's seeking to change the unseen part of our life, our character. And here's the thing, it's up to us. It's up to us, it's true. There are a lot of things that influence our character that we have no control over. You know, the first part of our life might include some real disadvantages, maybe even abuses, unbelieving parents, experiences, you know, that make you doubt God, incidents that hurt you. Uh, I listen to some of the stories of the people who give testimonies at higher ground, and I think, oh, my goodness, how would you ever survive those kinds of experiences, okay? But God does create opportunities for us to trust him, and that's what higher ground is all about. And God does create those opportunities where we can turn to him and he does change us and he creates responsibility so that you can choose. You can't choose maybe where you begin, but you can choose where you end up. You can choose through the course of life and, uh, and you can choose to trust God and to choose faith. And how you choose um, will result in the character uh, that God is seeking to reproduce in us. Uh, character is not, by the way, being the best you can be. I mean, the problem with most of us is we're already the best we can be. <laughs> if you think about it, right, we're all trying to do the best we can, and it's not enough. That's the problem. Being all we can be is not enough. We need to be what we aren't. We need to be Christ-like. We need to be in the image and likeness of God. That's how he created us. And uh, here's the deal. Left by yourself, you could never be that. Left by yourself, you can only be as good as you can be. And that's why God sent Jesus at Christmas so that we wouldn't be by ourselves, that God would inject the very spirit of Jesus into our lives and change us and give us that new life so that we could be more than all we can be by ourselves. And that's why God disciplines us to bring out that life that he's implanted us through Christ and it operates by faith. Uh, and when we yield control to our Father in heaven, uh, he will reshape our character to, in fact, increasingly become uh, like the person of Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you're so right. None of us likes discipline. Um, we're just like little kids. You know, we react to pain in our lives. We want you to deliver it. We're begging you to take it away and to make us comfortable again. And, 
And yet, Heavenly Father, you have a purpose. You have a design for the discipline. You mean it for good, and good is defined as holiness or being like you or being like your son, your only begotten son. And we know, Father, that this issue of character is such an important uh, dimension of our lives because it affects every other area of our life. And so please help us, Father, to discern when you're disciplining us and to cooperate with you. Help us, Heavenly Father, to uh, discern what it is you're seeking to accomplish, how you're seeking to grow us and change us and mature us and make us more like Christ. Help us, Father, not to just be uh, you know, wanting to have an easy life and wanting to get rid of the discipline that you're actually trying to use to grow us to be more mature and to be more Christ-like. Help us to cooperate with you. We thank you, Father, that you do love us like a father and that you do have a goal for our lives, that life is not just willy-nilly. There's, there's meaning, there's purpose to the events in our lives. And when we think about our life being a race, and uh, you tell us in the scriptures that that race is marked out for us and that we each have a race to run and it's unique to each of us. Help us, Heavenly Father, to just be aware of uh, the effort that you, as our Father who loves us, puts into developing us to be people, Father, that can uh, exist in heaven with you for eternity. We thank you, Father, for your love for us in that way. In Jesus' name, amen.